interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, Matt Kelly and I begin an exploration of GameStop. We consider the regulator's response, the Robinhood platform, how the social media frenzy drove the squeeze, the role of short sellers, and most importantly, how does this impact the compliance professional going forward into 2021 and beyond. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, together with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, who is uber cool today because of a massive snowstorm in Boston. So, Matt, how are you faring at the world headquarters of Radical Compliance? Hello, Tom. So, we're faring over here at the moment. Uh, it is snowing. It's going for probably about four hours. It's really only about an inch or two on the moment. Uh, I know that people are saying it was calamity in New York or Washington. D.C. Then again, snow is a calamity in D.C., so who knows? Let's get like nine to four inches. I'll, if it were daytime, show you my camera out the window, but we're just battening down, and I'll, I'll tell you what's happening by next week. You know, there's no weather that bothers a Bostonian or a Cambridgean. It's just, yeah, some snow, maybe. We'll see. That's life. <laughs> so, Matt... So, Matt, one of the biggest stories of the past week was uh, something called GameStop. And I wanted to maybe start exploring this because I think we may be really at a true tipping point in various issues, um, all related to compliance, or at least some some are related to compliance. So could you uh, sketch for our listeners the basic background of the GameStop story? Yeah, as best as I can, because this story, uh, frankly, it annoys me so much. I have been try- trying to avoid it, even though you can't. Uh, but GameStop uh, are is a video game business, and some of you might be thinking, wait, aren't they those dudes who sell the video games in the little kiosks in the shopping malls? Yes, that's GameStop. I think they have stores and kiosks. I presume they have line sales, uh, but they do not, I believe, have streaming sales. I don't know. I'm not a GameStop user myself. They're primarily a retail outlet for video games. Now, that hasn't been too good of a business for the last several years, and then having a panic shut down retail for months on end help. So GameStops have been in the toilet for quite some time. And a lot of short sellers, hedge funds, had borrowed GameStop shares to sell at a high price, assuming that GameStop GameStop would continue to fall, killing, buying it back at a low price. And then lo and behold, this a uh, posse of day traders talking on Reddit, uh, you know, had with this rider sort of an attitude, decided that they're going to bid up the price of stop. And so last week it went on this wild ride, was on pace for a while to be the largest, most valuable company on the planet. Bigger than Apple, bigger than Tesla, bigger than Boeing, bigger than Pfizer by market gap. Now that did not actually come to pass, but very volatile stuff all all enabled by that fintech trading app, Robinhood, um, realized that it was in a mess it didn't anticipate. And Robinhood then had to suspend some of the trading that its members were trying to 
execute so they could cash out their positions. Um, didn't let them do that. And uh, there was hell to pay all over the place. People Wall Street were upset at the day traders. The day traders were upset at the Wall Street guys. Um, in a unique political confluence, both A. O. Jr. said that the day traders were getting trampled by the Wall Street dudes. And it was just a total mess. And we haven't really seen anything like war, uh, where basically this, you know, the, the great unwashed on Reddit executed what Wall Streeters call a short squeeze on the hedge fund, uh, where they got high, so all the short sellers couldn't cash out their positions, and they all got screwed. And Melvin Capital, which is the hedge fund at the middle of this, they wound up losing like 50% of their value in the month of January. They needed billions of dollars from emergency loans from their other hedge fund friends, like total mess. And uh, we are where we are. And Monday, and now we could do the whole thing. Apparently, the ride and die traders now want to goose up the price of silver. Um, I don't know, Tom. Like, like I said, none of this is anything to do with actual invest fundamentals. So I get annoyed at the whole thing. Besting fundamentals. We're, I'm going to have to explore that with you at some length. Nevertheless, uh, the last time I checked today, game uh, stop stock was at 190. I believe down from a high of 360. So perhaps the correction is in place, Matt. But uh, I saw lots of compliance angles in this, and actually some that we have explored over over the years uh, on uh, Into the Weeds. Uh, let me pick up on the one of the last points you raised, which was the social media aspect. You, yeah, I really like the phrase that you use, which is social media doesn't create an idea; it amplifies it, and it, it amplifies it in a way which allows one. A uh, person using social media to find other like-minded souls, and they can band together in ways they never could have, and thereby exponentially amplifying that voice. And it yeah. seemed to me that uh, that was a major reason for this whole matter. Uh, uh, yeah, I think that without social media, this would not have happened. Um, it's there's a certain hilarious aspect to this is that the Wall Street Journal tracked down the guy on Reddit who is in, uh, I think it's called Wall Street Bets or something. They, they've got a special Reddit discussion board about um, various stocks, and that's where this bid for GameStop came up. Uh, the man behind this is from the Boston area. He lived in, lives in Brockton. He's 34. Um, I think he's made millions off of doing this. Brockton's a very hard scrabble community, so it's though, those of you, you know, he fits a certain counter- culture uh, sort of mindset and anti-authority mindset for people who are doing this. But here's my concerns, Tom, is that this whole care has exposed cracks in the financial system that I think need attention and are concerning. So social media in particular, we have all these people gabbering away about various stocks. Could criminal interests use disinformation and social media to mount some similar campaign to inflate a worthless stock deliberately and then trigger a short squeeze for their own nefarious purposes. Now, you want to trigger a short squeeze to stick it to the man? I, okay. like I, I can't really complain too much about, you know, we do a lot of weird things in this country. But I'm worried about the potential activity where uh, somebody like uh, I could sketch out a scenario. I will. Vladimir 
Vladimir Putin's minions use corporate espionage to figure out which hedge funds are highly levered and shorting a stock. And then they invade Reddit on fake accounts or they invade Twitter or some other discussion board or, I don't know, Facebook or whatever. Um, and they use disinformation to trigger own short sees. And if that highly leveraged hedge fund defaults, that could trigger some larger crisis in the financial system. Or maybe they're just doing this to exploit it for their own financial gain. Um, I worry about that is whether we could uh, see people exploiting this for their own criminal um, activities to line their own pockets in some corrupt way. But we saw in 2016 that Vladimir Putin successfully weaponized social media for a political outcome very favorable to him. To say he couldn't weaponize social media again, use the same tactics, either for financial gains for him or financial ability for us, because it seemed to happen here with Red and GameStop, suggests your stunt is possible. Is it possible? What about it? And if I was a regulator, like, I'm really sure. I don't know what the answer is, but I lot that this points to deeper problems that we haven't fully considered. So uh, I'm very pleased that Conspiracy Matt has come out uh, because I this was the first place I went, but uh, particularly with Russia. And uh, yep. it would not be criminal activity, but really a national destabilization activity. And so I saw this as a national security issue because in addition to the example you gave, uh, I think that they could run sort of a, a short and distort on uh, many different types of companies, particularly if they have fake accounts that are utilized in social media. Um, some of the things that, uh, the other thing that I thought about, Matt, was when the Tea Party initially began, uh, I think uh, when President Obama was um, elected, they really had two main planks. One was anti-big government, but there was another plank, which was uh, anti-Wall Street, anti-big finance. Now, of course, the Republican Party co-opted uh, the Tea Party, and they changed it, the second plank, to really a racism plank. But there's a large number of people out there who really are uh, anti-Wall Street and anti-big finance. And you're right, they seem to take great glee in this. And the, the greater the opportunity to do so, I think, is part of the motivation that's driving them. But with this type of social media power, um, unregulated, uh, now, I think we have seen that uh, a group of people can literally change the fortunes of any one company, and perhaps, as you said, even the entire economy. And that that is something that we have not seen in the financial sector previously. Well, yeah, and I have some thoughts about that, too. I certainly understand that there are anti-Wall Street strains out there from certain people, and not all of that is undeserved, but at least some of it is. Uh, what we're talking about here is a very different sort of a thing than the misconduct that Wall Street would typically engage in to screw over the little guy. I'll tell you exactly what I mean. A lot of people are thinking this might be vengeance for the way Wall Street screwed us over in the financial crisis of 2008. Okay, no, it's not. Um, Wall Street did screw over a lot of people in 2008, but what we are doing here is A, is not going to screw anybody over. Nobody had their life savings up stock where um, you're going to be financially ruined. 
or you, know, you were duped into buying the stock because everybody was jabbering about it on uh, social media. My fear is that could this trigger another global financial crisis? That's not the right analogy. The right comparison in my mind is more like how much is this issue like long-term capital management in 1998? There you go, throwing it out from the left field of security. Here comes the pitch. So in 1998, that was a hedge fund that heavily on stability of the Russian ruble, which then defaulted, which then long-term capital management did not have the money to cut bets. And then suddenly there was going to be this cascading failure. If I can't cover my bets and debts, then the other lender can't cover theirs and so on and so forth. It led to a private sector bailout of term capital management. Um, very different than what we saw in the financial crisis. We shouldn't be thinking that this is vengeance for that and that this could trigger that. This could be more analogous to what happened with long-term capital management, for those of us old enough to remember it. And what would you actually do to prevent it if you were the Securities Exchange Commission? I'm not exactly sure. We can talk about that. But you know, everybody who says that this is another example of Wall Street misconduct, this is a matter of Wall Street just making money any which way it can. But we'll be clear about this. It's not like the financial crisis where they're duping people and... Um, I just I don't see is you know, that sort of Wall Street resentment in instance is misplaced. So I don't know. That's so, what I have to say. Kudos for long-term capital. Uh, well yeah. done. Nevertheless, I would point to the financial panic of 1907. Oh, and all right, because uh, that situation involved one bank uh, which overextended and. Uh, went down. And of course, all the lending banks then began to go down. And J.P. Morgan, the J.P. Morgan, stepped in. And the first, he did two things. One is he put up $25 million of his own capital to backstop the banks. Then he invited others to join. But two, he personally suspended trading. He just said, boys, we're not trading anymore. Now, that really leads to the regulatory response because out of the financial panic of 1907, the Federal Reserve was finally enacted into law. And the Federal Reserve was designed to give us banks which would backstop uh, the banking system. And what could regulators do now? Well, Jacob Frankel had uh, some really interesting thoughts on uh, a LinkedIn, or it was an interview that he posted on LinkedIn, where he said that the Securities and Exchange Commission has authority to do something called, and they have trading suspension authority. And they can trade, they can suspend trading for up to 10 days. So he had advocated, he said, maybe too late now, but that's one thing that the traders can do. The second thing is, which did happen, was the backstop uh, of additional capital requirements, <clears throat> which Robinhood was required to put up. Uh, so they put up a billion, they borrowed a billion dollars last Thursday for capital, and they borrowed over the weekend another 2.4 billion. So they have 3.4 billion in capital to backstop any trades um, that go through. So it seemed to me that at least the automatic regulatory response, which required additional capital because of the volumes of trade, which kicked in last Thursday, uh, did occur. The SEC, uh, Frankel said, frankly, we don't have a commissioner and we don't have a director of enforcement. And the SEC uh, really may not be in the best position to respond to this right now, but they're going to have to respond to this. And they've sent out uh, several uh, requests for um, additional 
information uh, from GameStop and others. Um, and now I'm sure we'll devolve, of course, into congressional hearings. But I think there's a, at least the beginnings of a regulatory response there. Uh, I think so, too. And as much as I would like to one-up you with regards to the Great Panic of 1893, I won't. Uh, we'll just stick with, with what's going on here. Um, I, you know, to an extent, I think trading is like, well, why? I mean, who is really who is unwitting about what was going on with GameStop? Nobody. Uh, this was two different two different armies kind of going head to head over the financial system, trying to goose up a stock that really most people don't care about unless they're an actual GameStop employee or the management team. We can get to the whirlwind those people had to endure last week, but normally speaking. I wouldn't re necessarily recommend that because really what's the harm if two people, if two groups want to do something stupid to each other, okay, except um, if they're doing it with borrowed money um, or they're doing it and there's not enough capital to cover it. So, so to your point there or to Mr. Franklin about capital requirements for Robin Hood, and we haven't really talked much about Robin Hood, but that's the app that everybody on the day side was using to bid up the price of the stock. Um, I think that is something that regulators should look at. Robinhood is not the only app out there that is trying to corner a market and get you out a place under the sun for itself doing this. But if they're going to create this role and serve this role and create this instability for the greater market, they need to be able to cover the, the, the costs of that instability with higher capital requirements. Um, I think that we should look at that. I think it is an excellent point that right now there's not enough people at the SEC to do it. Getting back to the conspiracy ideas, you could specifically wait for the SEC to be a special understaff and then execute another. If I were Vladimir Putin, that's what I would do. Um, but also within weeks, hopefully, we will have a new SEC chairman. It's likely to be Gary Gensler. Um, said before that given his research uh, he's a professor at MIT, yet another Boston connection to this whole mess. Um, but Gary Gensler invented about Frank for the Commodities Futures and Trading Commission in the early 2010s. Um, he is accustomed to think about how do we put new regulations in place to curb stability in markets that had never gotten them before. So if we're at the intersection tech enabling more market instability. I do think Gary Gensler is very well suited to grapple with that sort of a problem. It is a problem. It needs a solution. I do think capital requirements for Robinhood and the rest of them are probably a good way to do it. And if you had enough of that, you would not need to get into the trading suspension stuff, which I can see it was probably necessary specific instance. I don't like the precedent it sets. And if I were a Robinhood user, I would certainly be pretty pissed that suddenly I can't trade and the stock told I could, and they're right to be upset about that. Um, but, you know, we've got a lot of regulatory issues to understand about how does this sort of new breeding ground of instability affect other parts of the financial system? How do we keep that in check on curbs on leverage or margin or capital requirements for broker deal? That are those are all good questions that are going to be very difficult to answer. But Gary Gensler is going to be a very good person to lead us to those answers. Now, look, they're never going to like it, but that's 
because Republicans, they don't like what Democrats do and vice versa. You know, Gary Gensler is a man for this sort of a moment, to put it that way. So let's, let me leave Gensler aside because I want to go back to him specifically, but I'd like to pivot to the greater uh, compliance issues on this. And the first thing that really struck me, Matt, was uh, we're now in the month of February, so I can't say the first month of the year, but we had uh, two black swan events. We had an insurrection at the Capitol, and then we had uh, GameStop. And that drove home to me the message. One of the big messages from 2020 was um, we are not in disaster recovery. We are not in um, crisis mode. This is just business as usual now. And how are you as a compliance professional going to respond to something that could be as catastrophic as this uh, for, for your business? You mentioned Robinhood and, and what they may have been going through. If you're the CCO or the general counsel at Robinhood, uh, you probably haven't slept for two weeks. I hope you have some very nice uh, help to keep you awake. But um, uh, I think a, com- the comp- a compliance program now has to be much more nimble, much more agile, Department of Justice talked about continuous monitoring and continuous improvement, and you need to be ready to respond uh, literally, you know, on a day-to-day basis now in a field that perhaps you didn't have to or you didn't think you had to in 2019 or early 2020. Yeah, I I do think that for clients and risk managers, specifically in banking and financial services, um, for a lot of other industries, this is fascinating and unnerved, but for those two sectors in particular, there's a lot here that you have to think about. Um, it really drives home the of excellent data analytics and real-time analytics. So a lot, a lot of financial firms are quite glad, but that ability to connect trading activity to liquidity risks, and therefore how would that tie back to capital reserves you should have, even if that may or may not not be in what you're required to have because what you required to have might be lower than necessary. Um, that's the sort of thing that we need to be thinking about. Access to data, uh, really connecting your liquidity risk management mechanisms to what that data says, and good scenario planning, especially when for some of this, no, I am sure nobody had a scenario where GameStop rocketed up to be one of the most valuable companies in the country in 2021. I don't think anybody had that in their scenario. Um, and here we were. Um, you know, and it's funny, Tom, because you said just earlier that GameStop had closed at 190 when it had been down from three something. It should be like $1.90. And I know that's not what you meant. You meant $190, which is ridiculous. And we're not, I, in my opinion, we are not even near the correction that should be here. You know, how are we going to plan for all that? I, I don't know. I I do think that the SEC, the some of the other agencies, such as the Federal Reserve and the Financial Stability Oversight Council, and maybe the Treasury Department, they all need to be thinking about not what GameStop itself means for the economy and financial regulation. Look, it doesn't mean much. This is going to peter out. But what does it what sort of new possibilities has GameStop just proven they do exist? And if you play those out at a grander scale, what do those things mean for the financial system and systemic financial risk? That's what regulators need to be thinking about. I do think Janet Yellen, Gary Gensler, we have some really good brains to be able to think about this. I'm sure they don't really have the answer, but we could have had a whole lot worse people in charge right now to try and solve these problems. And, and thankfully, we don't. 
So let me turn back to Gary Gensler now because I wanted to pitch this query to you. Uh, we all we both remember when Jay Clayton took over the Securities and Exchange Commission, and he had a set of ideas that he wanted to explore and, and implement. And the first thing out of the box he got hit with was a fraud and corruption scandal involving SEC and former SEC employees who were uh, giving information about audit exams to KPMG auditors or selling them or getting jobs yeah. for them. And it was a huge scandal. And uh, it seemed like his agenda really got pushed off for six months or perhaps even a year. And th that's what I thought about. Could that happen to Gensler now? Could this be so all-consuming, so allegedly unexpected, uh, requiring such a multi-level of response, literally down to an in, from an individual day trader up to a congressional hearing, that the, he and the SEC will be consumed by this? So whatever agenda he may have or what issues he may want to explore, or even issues he wanted to implement, will get sidetracked the way Clayton's did, and he try, had to try to do things much more quickly and uh, perhaps much more inefficiently than he had originally hoped for. Um, honestly, I'm more pro-Gensler than that in this instance, because first off, Gensler has been through this before, where he shows up to head a regulatory agency, the CDC. I am sure that he had no particular plans to be running the CFTC in the midst of a financial crisis and then implementing a sweeping new law. He went through that already. Um, second, Gensler has actually, in his private sector time, been thinking about these issues. He'd been thinking about them more specifically around how cryptocurrency could introduce instability to the financial sector and its implications. But thinking through new types of trading, new assets, and their implications for the rest of the financial system, how should that be regulated? Gensler has been thinking about that in his time. Um, and then, you know, third, you Imagine if uh, President Biden had instead nominated somebody like a federal executor to run the SEC. That sort of a person, I think, would be way out of their depth. Um, and it would depend a lot on who that person would hire to be their um, head of division of corporation finance. Uh, I'm sure Gensler will make that pick as well. And that person also is going to need to be able to think about these things. Um, but Janet Yellen, who went through uh, the chairman of the federal Reserve back in the Obama administration. She had to deal with a lot of these things too, and Treasury is going to be involved in trying to figure this out. Um, so, like I said before, I think Gensler is a man for this moment. Um, is it going to consume him? I, I don't know. If this happens with more and more stocks, yes, but if it was just GameStop and it was a weird thing, maybe not, and then he can get back to all the other big sweeping things he still will have to do as SEC chairman, which we can talk about another week. Well, Matt, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but this has been a fascinating exploration, and I think it's going to be something we'll be able to revisit down the road. I think so, too, Tom. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. I hope you will join Matt and I each Monday at 3 p.m. Central, where we live stream Compliance Into the Weeds. And you can pitch questions to us and be part of the engagement and commentary. If you have any questions for Matt, you can reach him at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. If you have questions for me, you can reach me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I hope you will uh, join us again for an audio podcast or 
the live stream once again at 3 p.m. Central Time each Monday. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.